This evening's reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, in the Church Bibles, page 1225, page 1225, 1 John 2, 1 to 6. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. This is the word of the Lord. I wonder if you could complete this phrase. If you're going to talk the talk, you've got to... Brilliant. When I researched that, I found that was an American phrase, Rocky. Did you know that? Praise the Lord for Americans. Um, but I thought people would probably know that. If you're going to talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. As, uh, as Chris has already told us, this is the third in a mini-series around discipleship. And actually, discipleship and growing in discipleship is our key theme for this year as part of our vision. We want to grow in our discipleship, in our being taught by Jesus, in our becoming more like him. And so in the mini-series, we had the first week, which was knowing God, and then the second week was loving God, and today is obeying God. I don't know about you, but often... I come across people when I tell them that I'm a Christian and they give me a kind of look like that. And then they go, oh yeah, you know, because being a Christian is all about what you should and shouldn't do, isn't it? There's a whole list of rules and regulations you need to follow if you're going to be a Christian. I think it's so sad that that is what we have somehow communicated that Christianity is about. It's about a list of things we should and shouldn't do. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I'll put my yoke on you. Now, we, we know what a yoke is perhaps, from a kind of agrarian, agricultural kind of background, but, but a yoke would have been a, a, a wooden piece of equipment that would have gone over to oxen and they'd been yoked together so that they could plough the field or pull the car or whatever. Jesus says, come to me and I will put my yoke over you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That last verse that we had up there, verse 6, in the version that was read out, in that version, the New International Version, it says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. But in my version of the NIV, and they keep changing these things, which can get very confusing for us, it says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. 
And actually, that's a more literal translation as well. Take that picture then of being yoked with Jesus and walking as Jesus walked. Walking the same way that he did. As we look at these verses this evening and we're thinking about obeying God, I want to release us from we've got this list of rules and regulations that we must follow to be Christians to I'm yoked with Jesus. I want to walk as Jesus walked. Because that's what John is wanting his readers to do here. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, would you come by your Holy Spirit and breathe on us afresh tonight? We want to be followers of you. We want to walk as Jesus walked. We want to be obedient to your commands. Will you come and release that in us tonight? Challenge us, convict us if necessary, but encourage us too, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're in one of the letters of John. John writes three letters. In fact, he's written five books that we have in the New Testament. We've got these three letters. We've also got the Gospel of John, and then we've got the Revelation the revelation of Jesus, that, that end stuff, that fantastic visual kind of, wow, what does all that mean? We're still trying to work it all out. Well, that's John as well. John, it's believed, was the, not everybody agrees with this, but John, it's believed, is the, the only apostle, the only one of the 12 who actually, in the end, died a natural death. Some disagree with that, but most of them, all the rest were, were, were martyred, but John lived probably into his 80s. So he lives a long life. He was also one of the younger disciples with Jesus as well. One of those who was yoked with Jesus alongside him for three years of ministry as a, as a young man, learning from Jesus, seeing that in Jesus there was someone who talked the talk and walked the walk. So John, as he writes in this letter, he wants to pass some of that on to his hearers. And how does he start? Before we get into the walking stuff, let's just look at these first two verses. My dear children, he says. What a lovely way to start chatting to someone in a letter. My dear children. It's almost like, come, I want to have a chat with you. What's he want to have a chat about? I want to have a little chat with you about sin. Oh, interesting. But I want to tell you how not to sin, he says. We're going to get on to that in a minute with the walk in the walk. But just let's be clear, he says, if anyone does sin, ah, so you're allowing for the fact then, John, who walked with Jesus, who's lived into your 80s, that actually we probably are going to sin. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I know they'll all go up. You will sin, he says. I'm going to talk about how not to sin, but let's just be clear, he said. When you sin, if anybody does sin, We've got an advocate in Jesus. We've got one who comes alongside and speaks on our behalf to our Father in heaven and says, look, don't look at them, look at me. An atoning sacrifice. We're going to remember that when we have communion later on. Don't look at them, look at me. Forgive them because of me. When you sin, if you sin, don't forget, my dear children, Jesus has died for you on the cross. Wow. We need to bear that in mind before we get into the next bit so we don't get condemned. Because what does he go on to say? 
What's this walking stuff about? He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. That sounds fairly strong, doesn't it? So is John saying there to those of us who sin, that's it? You're a liar, Matt Baker, because you sin and don't keep the commands. Well, he can't be saying that because he's already said there's a way back for me as a Christian at the start. Let's take that yoked picture again. If you take nothing away tonight, I'd love you to take away in your head that idea of walking alongside Jesus into your week. Whether that's in the workplace, whether that's at the school gates, whether that's in your prayer time that you're walking along with Jesus beside you. But let's be honest. We don't always obey the commands very well. And maybe tonight you're feeling a little bit, let's just take that analogy, distantly yoked. It's as if Jesus is walking in this direction and the yoke seems to have stretched right over here. He'd say to you today, you can still come back. You can still walk closer to the one who's doing the yoking. So he can't be saying here, that's it, you're a liar, you're condemned. I think what he's saying here is he's talking about a habitual predisposition to disobey God's commands. You know, if we're coming along and say, "Well, well, I go to church, but actually in our life, Every day of the week, we're just disobeying all the stuff that's in here. Because our life isn't reflecting, actually, the change that's gone inside. In fact, you could question, and rightly so, perhaps, that there has been a change that's gone on inside. So he's not saying here, for those of us who are Christians, that you're liars. What is he saying? I had a, a friend once who said to me, uh, I'm gonna, he wasn't a Christian, he said, I'm going to obey the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I've read those, those chapters, he said, and I'm going to live my life just following those. Good luck with that one then. We did a series, didn't we, recently on the Sermon on the Mount. It was tough and challenging, wasn't it? It's tough and challenging if you've got God's Spirit living inside of you. If you haven't, I'll say this, it's impossible to live out the Sermon on the Mount. We cannot obey our way into knowing Jesus. We have to know Jesus in order to obey him. That's why this series has been done in this order. When Chris spoke three weeks ago, you talked about knowing Jesus. That's where it starts. We start by knowing him, and actually as a result of knowing him, then we are enabled to obey him. And walk with him and be yoked with him. I've said several times already, I've got three sons Ben, Samuel, and Joshua. Three sons. They are my sons. From the moment they were born, they're my sons. You could go back and say, into conception, if you like, 
They're my sons. And nothing is going to change that. They can't obey their way into sonship. It's who they are. It's their birthright to be the sons of Matt and Helen Baker. Even when we've died and they're still alive, they can still say, I'm Matt Baker's son. That's who they are by nature. Who we are as Christians are sons and daughters of the living God by nature. Something has changed in us at the moment we become Christians. Isn't that fantastic? Our nature changes. You can read about it in Scripture. We don't have that old nature. Something, something amazing, incredible has gone on in our lives. And we've been transported from just being whoever we were before. Now we are sons and daughters of the living God. Period. To use an American phrase again. As a result of that, we can start to obey. So what are these commands then that are referred to in this passage? Well, I suggest they include the Ten Commandments, but actually it's much bigger than that. Again, I love to refer back to previous preachers, but only last week, wasn't it, we were thinking about Matthew 22, the verses there, 34 to 40, where Jesus is questioned about the commands, and he says two commands on the whole law and the prophets hinge on these two commands. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbors as yourself. We've got a whole Bible full of stuff here to learn, but actually, if we just took those two commands, they sum up everything else. If you think about it, every decision that we make, every way that we live, am I loving the Lord God with all my heart, soul, and mind? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? So let's come back to Jesus then, because I want us to think for the last 10 minutes how Jesus walked and then how we walk, because that's what this is about. How did Jesus walk then with the commands? The stuff that's written down. Because we know that Jesus studied what would have been the, the Old Testament, as we might call it, the law and the prophets. How did he apply that then to his life? <clears throat> well, here's an example. After his baptism, he's taken out into the wilderness, fasts 40 days, and it says he's tempted or, or tested. I'm just picking up on one of them there. But in Matthew 4, I think it is, here's the second temptation. Jesus is taken up by Satan to the temple pinnacle and he said, throw, throw yourself down. And now the Satan's quite clever because he starts quoting, quoting scripture because it says, you know, that Lord will, my paraphrase, but he won't allow you to, to be hurt. He will catch you, will send angels to protect you. How does Jesus respond? It is written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. You see, Jesus knew the commands because he spent his time learning them and now he was able to live them out. That's how he walked the walk. Didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk because he knew his stuff. So, how do we walk then with these commands? 
first uh, Sunday of the year. I walked in here a little bit late, didn't I, Hannah? I said, I said, I'll get my own back. I was about, about five or ten past six, wasn't it? It was a terrible start to the new year. And uh, I think Hannah was asking about New Year's resolutions. And as soon as I walked in, she said, Matt, what's your New Year's resolution? I was kind of put on the spot straight away. But I answered it thinking that everybody had been just talking about their New Year's resolutions, but I think it was only me. But anyway, I said, well, uh, I've set myself the task of reading through the whole Bible this year. Now, I have read through the whole Bible several times in the past, but I felt really convicted. I've not actually set myself the task to do it in the whole year for about nine or ten years. So I've set myself that task this year. And okay, we're only in January, but I'm still... Still on point with it. I'd recommend, actually, um, Nicky Gumbel's uh, uh, Through the Bible of the Year plan. It's really good. I'm really enjoying it, actually. And uh, it takes you about 20, 25 minutes a day. You've got a bit of catching up to do, but hey, you could start now and finish it end of January next year. Just an idea. But why am I doing it? Other than feeling, yeah, a bit convicted I hadn't done it for a while. Because I want more of God's Word in my life. Because I want, I want that sense of knowing what to do and how to obey that in, in my daily life in the 21st century. I genuinely do. Because I struggle with some of those decisions out there. I struggle with some of the things that are going on. So when I get to the Ten Commandments, do not lie, or bear false witness, do not, do not steal, do not covet your neighbor's ass. Now my neighbor does not have an ass. However, Coveting, I suggest, is perhaps a bigger issue for us today than it might have been back in Exodus times. Even, let's be honest, even for us in a church together. Particularly, maybe with Facebook and Twitter, if you do that. I mean, how often do you look on, I don't do Facebook, but Helen does, but I do do Twitter. How often do I see that one of my friends has put this lovely photograph of their wonderful family and everybody's smiling. And I think, oh, we just had a bit of a row with each other today. I wish my family was like that. Or oh, there they are on their skiing holiday. Hoorah. Here we are on our annual skiing holiday. We go every January skiing. Da, 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 da. Oh, I wish we had more money so we could go skiing. And I start to cover. I wish I was like them. And if I'm not careful, I start to get bitter. And I start to get jealous. I want to obey Jesus and follow. I don't want to get bitter against my brothers and sisters. I want to pray for those wonderful skiing holidays that you're having. (laughs) But you see my point? That's following. That's walking with Jesus. That's walking the way that he walked. But here's a second way that Jesus walked as well. And this will be my final point before I hand back. Jesus was always about his Father's will. In Gethsemane, and I'm not going to go too much into Gethsemane because it's, it's a whole hours of preaching in itself. But Jesus says there, you know, if I could just, if you could just take this cup of, of suffering, but not my will but your will be done. At his hour of deepest need, Jesus is still saying the Father's will. 
In John's Gospel, I, I counted that there are three occasions where Jesus says something like this. I come to do the will of him who sent me. I want to obey his will, is what Jesus is saying. But here's the question, how did he know it? Okay, I know he's got scripture, but it doesn't say in there every decision that Jesus has to make, does it? Did he leave heaven with a, with a nice piece of paper or a tablet of stone like Moses did, which had the ten things he had to achieve before he went back to heaven? Well, here's an example. Luke chapter 6. Jesus uh, is choosing the apostles. The twelve apostles who are going to be the ones that he's going to train up especially. The ones that are going to be around him for the next three years. The ones who are going to see him talking the talk, hear him talking the talk and doing the walk in the walk stuff. Who's he going to pick? What does he do? He goes up a mountainside and prays all night with his father. I want to know your will, father. Okay, I don't know what he prayed exactly, but it's got to be something like that, hasn't it? Who are the twelve? Matthew, the tax collector. Mm, Not sure how that's going to work out, but if that's what you say. Fishermen, not the brightest, are they? But okay, that's what you say. Judas, mm, I've always had a question about him, Father, but if that's what you say. Here's a thought, though. I only had this today. Take this away and discuss. But if Judas Iscariot had not been one of the disciples, would Jesus have gone to the cross? The answer's got to be yes, of course, but it would have to happen a different way. But Jesus wanted to know what the Father's will was. He discovered it in prayer and spending time with his Father and asking him. So what about us then? We've already prayed the Lord's Prayer. I love praying the Lord's Prayer. I use the Lord's Prayer in my own prayer time every day. I structure my prayer time around it. And when I get to your will be done, and I'm applying that to me, there's two things that I'm doing here generally. One is saying, I want your will as here in your commands in my life. And then as I start to pray that, I realize how I've let God down even in the last day. But I have to hold on to that because I'm going to get to the dealing with that in a minute and being forgiven my sins. But there's that. There's applying your will. But there's also that specific will for my life. The being Matt Bacon now as national director of English sport in 21st century England the Matt Baker who's married to Helen and who's bringing up three boys I want to know your will now the biggest decision I've ever made for my life is who do I marry 25 years ago this summer we're going to celebrate our silver wedding anniversary Helen and I got married 25 years ago, I was starting to fall in love with Helen. I was finding her physically attractive. I still do. I was enjoying her company and her conversation. She was a Christian. She came from good Christian stock. Her parents were Christians. Her grandfather was a Baptist minister. On paper, it doesn't get any better than that. But I wanted to really know if she was the right one for me. I really did. I wanted to know what God's will was for my life. I've talked about the yoking together and the coming alongside. 
The Holy Spirit is referred to as the one who comes alongside. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us the moment that we become Christians. That's how we discern, that's how we pray, that's how we try and work out these sort of things. Now, I was leading, uh, and this is just my story, I'm going to finish with that in handbag. This is just our story. I'm praying, Father, I really want to marry Helen, but I I want you to confirm that she's right for me, and I'm right for her, it's not all about me. I could mess up her life as well, don't get me wrong. I think it's worked out all right so far. I was leading a church at the time, and we were, um, we were encouraging, uh, I'm not going to make a preach on this now, but we were encouraging the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as you see in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Um, words of knowledge, prophetic words, we were just, that was the type of church that I was leading. And so I was praying, Lord, will you confirm to me whether it's right? And this is what I love about the corporate dynamic of, of journeying together. Because we're in this together, aren't we? We're learning from one another, we're helping one another along the way. So we set aside two weeks just to pray that God would confirm whether it was right for us to get married. And uh, nobody in the church knew that I was going out with Helen. I kept that a secret. She was living in Basingstoke. Lucky Helen. (laughs) Nothing against Basingstoke. Um, Roundabouts. Um, And nobody in the church knew that I was going out with Helen. And a guy came up to me in the middle of this period of two weeks of us praying about it. Helen wasn't there. And he came up to me and he said, Matt... He said, this is a bit strange. He said, but I've got this word for you. He said, it's this one verse. He said, God has really laid on my heart. I need to give you this verse. He said, I don't know what it means, and it's only that verse. So don't read anything else around it, just that one verse. I don't know what it means, but God says, you'll know what it means. What am I praying? I want to know whether this person I've fallen in love with is a person I want to get married to. I'm going to get married to. The verse is this. 2 Samuel 7, verse 3. What you have in your mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. I started to grin from ear to ear. I threw my arms around my brother and thanked him. He said, I don't know what it means. I said, I do. Isn't it a wonderful God that we serve? It's not about a list of rules and regulations. It's about walking along the way, the way that Jesus walked. I'd encourage us, as we come to the table, I'm going to hand back, just to reflect on our own lives, about our walk with Jesus. Don't feel condemned if you're stretched out on that yoking. You can come back and say, actually, I want to just put that right. Maybe looking into the rest of this year, you want to say, you know what, I want to. I want to follow you more closely. I want to learn more from you. I want to walk as Jesus walked. What a great phrase that might be around the church to say to one another. How's your walk with Jesus going? Very simple, but very to the point. Thank you.